All right. It feels like a while since we've been here, but it's only been a week, Mark. But, you know, a lot happens in a season. week. Yeah, a, lot, a lot happens in a week. A lot can happen uh, in just one game, as we saw last Monday. So that was the last time we were here with you all was Monday afternoon. And, of course, looking forward to the Monday evening game that included the New York Jets and the Buffalo Bills. Unfortunately, we didn't get to see yeah. much of Aaron Rodgers in a Jets uniform as he was uh, carted off the field three three or four snaps into his four tenure snaps. here. Ten, four snaps there uh, in, into his tenure with the New York Jets. And Achilles tear or rupture. He had surgery done for the season. Uh, so we haven't given our thoughts on this. It's old news at this point, but we have not been able to uh, to discuss this at all. So let's do a, a quick uh, recap uh, of what went down. And then obviously we are going to get into our, uh, you know, full week two yeah. uh, recap episode here. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers, obviously so much uh, talk uh, about him moving from Green Bay to New York, the Big Apple all of this stuff, all of this excitement, running out with the American flag on September 11th, like all of this stuff, and uh, for it to end that quickly, it was definitely a shock to the system. I don't know if you were watching at the at oh, the yeah. time it happened, but yeah, I mean, you could feel the air kind of leave the stadium and uh, obviously all of the living rooms in America as well. You just couldn't believe it. It was one of those that are like, this is so weird. And and it was like, no one wanted to mention it, but we all, it was an immediate feeling like, you know, oh, it's not... Anyone who's trying to say like it's an ankle sprain is like, no, 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 no. That when you twist your ankle, you're like grabbing it and you're holding it. He knew immediately what happened. He, he knew. knew. He knew. And you could yeah. see the look in his eyes. That's why he was staring off at the field and just did this whole like, no. Like it's and and like and I I listen, I, I'll be honest. There's no one who's rooted harder against Aaron Rodgers over the last, you know, 15 years than me. But I was very much looking forward to this season and this storyline of Aaron and seeing what he could do. To me, the, the whole focus now goes to two things. Will he actually play for the Jets? Is he going to give the rehab the the old college try, or is he really going to go 100% into it? It sounds like the early word is from his Instagram posts and everything he said on McAfee that he's all in. Like, he's he's trying to make this rehab work, and his plan is to be the Jets' starting quarterback next year in this kind of window he created. Maybe it'll even extend his career depending on, um, you know, what exactly happens and how he works it all out. Or the other thing will be, does he just halfway through the rehab realize this is not going to work and I'm not going to play well and this is going to be a disaster? Do I retire? And the final thing, when you actually look at the Jets as a season, they're one and one now. We'll talk about their loss to the to the Cowboys. I don't think you should panic about the Cowboys loss. The Cowboys defense just looks like it is the best unit in football right now. And so I don't think you overreact to that. And I am very, very opposed to bringing in any other quarterback. I think this is your perfect opportunity to just give Zach Wilson a final shot, a final season, and and then you you can absolutely 100% know without a shadow of a doubt at the end of the season whether you want Zach Wilson on your roster going forward or not. Full agreement there, and this is a, a classic case of conflicting information being tossed about because we just got actually word yesterday that some reports were that Aaron Rodgers was eyeing a return for the playoffs. Yeah. If the Jets made the playoffs. Uh, talk about uh, that's a little bit rich, folks. Um, most accounts from what I've seen, obviously, I'm not a doctor. I refer to others, and there are some really good ones uh, on social media that that deal primarily with athletes. Say this is a 
12 month process for most athletes over a certain age, uh, possibly even 15 for someone of Aaron Rodgers age advancements in medicine and technology uh, might make a 12 month timeline more realistic, but good Lord, uh, a, a playoff return would be unbelievable. If they get to the playoffs with Zach Wilson this year, then you're probably just fine with going with Zach Wilson at that point, because honestly having Aaron Rodgers trying to rush him back for a playoff push would be ill-advised to say the least. If he's planning on coming back next year, you just wait at that point and make sure the guy's perfectly healthy, but that's just me. Uh, Anyways, we've got a full slate of games, some disappointments, some surprises, some get right games, for a few different teams and players in this one. So let's get to it. Our week two recap here on the football lounge. Take your energy level to new heights this football season with lifted energy. Try any of lifted's nine specialty energy drinks or create your own and conquer fatigue. Visit Lifted this fall at 2430 16th Street Moline or check their Facebook page at Lifted Energy to see what festival, market, or fair they are popping up at today. Lifted Energy, get lifted. All right, we are the Football Lounge with Mark and Dan. I'm feeling lifted. I hope you're feeling lifted, absolutely. And there's quite a few teams feeling lifted after their performance on Sunday. We'll get to that in just a moment, but we are of the for frequency sake podcast network so check us out at for fantasy sake all of our great shows got lineup dfs fantasy football gambling uh anything you could think of honestly tons of sports uh covered in this one as well so check out all the other shows happy to be a part of this great network and we are happy to be bringing you our week two recaps here on the show a lot to get to starting with the thursday night game that will launch right into Mark the Vikings at the Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles pull out a narrow victory, thirty-four to twenty-eight over Minnesota. Uh, Philly two and zero doesn't look as great of a two and zero as you'd like to see, but two and zero nonetheless. Uh, I think overall the four fumbles uh, being lost by Minnesota in this one was, you know, very much the key of the game, especially since Kirk Cousins tossed four touchdown passes in this one. Uh, but yeah, Philly overall looking somewhat pedestrian in their two wins, but you can't fault them too much because they came in victories. Minnesota, on the other hand, Mark, no identity really can't run the football with Alexander Madison or anybody. And uh, the O-line seems to be an issue for them as well. Curious your takeaways from this game in which the offense overall, overall played decent on the box score sheet, but you know, turnovers obviously going to cost you most games. See, I, I I think that Philadelphia found an identity. I, and I think Philadelphia, with the way they ran the football in that game and controlled the line of scrimmage, they went back to just saying, I know we paid our guy a lot of money, but what our guy does really well is running the football and play action stuff and then being an athlete. And they did that. And I think that what it was so... Um, uh, to me, eye-opening is that we had a lot of bad week two performances from guys who needed bounce back weeks. One of the one of the things that Philadelphia they didn't necessarily need the bounce back because they were one and zero. But I think offensively, it's like, hey, this is the recipe for Philadelphia to win the one seed in the NFC. Right? You play football like that on uh, most Sundays, you're going to win with the strengths they have at the offensive and defensive line. And then I didn't love them giving up as much points as they did. 
late in that game and letting kind of Minnesota be in it. Cause really Philly was in control of that game. Most of the game and, and they let yeah. Minnesota kind of sneak back in. Um, but I absolutely think Philadelphia to me, they don't look as clean and as polished maybe as a San Francisco or a Dallas through two weeks, but absolutely with the pedigree, with the quarterback and with that offensive and defensive line, they still feel to me right now, like the favorites in the NFC. And then conversely for Minnesota, I mean, gosh, it is literally like they're, they're just so stuck in exactly what everyone predicted would happen. What do we all say? They were going to come back to earth. The one score games, they're now and two in one score games this year. And they just can't stop a nosebleed. I mean, defensively that losing, losing to Philadelphia on the road in week two is not a problem, especially when your offense puts up, if your right. offense plays as well as they do uh, and then as well as they did uh, against Philadelphia, that's not a concern. The concern is again, you lost week one because you couldn't get stops when you needed to, and you were disjointed. So now you're stuck at zero and two and you're staring down the barrel of, uh, I think of, of, I can't remember who they play week three, but I, I, I just heard it somewhere and it's someone that it's like, well, now they're in now they're in real trouble for a possible 0 and 3 start. And so um uh Chargers week three. Yeah, I mean, talk about a desperation game for both teams. Seriously. And so uh that is that's gonna be a must-watch 0 and 2 versus 0 and 2. Uh so I feel good about Philadelphia. I think they did find their identity, and I think that Minnesota's just, I mean, defensively, you can't blame Kirk for this one. He had some early, you know, turnover issues early. They got into a little bit of a hole offensively. Final point I'll say on that is Justin Jefferson needs to. It's someone in his camp needs to get him away from the sideline pouting and the and the divaness. The dude is building the beginnings of the greatest wide receiver career in NFL history because of Kirk Cousins, and Kirk Cousins is feeding him the rock relentlessly. So if I was Justin Jefferson in his camp, I would get in his ear and be like, dude, just put a smile on your face, go out there and play ball because you are building Megatron 2.0 type of stats and you could retire in another three or four years and end up being in a Hall of Fame the way you're going. So do not blow this and go Antonio Brown on us. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, obviously you worry about that with with any player that kind of shows their – you know, or, or wears their emotions on their sleeves in front of national television. But it also could be, you know, motivated with good intentions based on the guy just wants to win football games. You know, maybe the guy is just really uh, frustrated. Um, but all of that being said, and I'm I'm just going to keep saying this because this is something that both of us harped on throughout the offseason. It's another one possession game that the Vikings lost. They're now 0-2 in one score games where they were 11 and one last year. We said this was going to revert back. We're already seeing it start to fall apart early on. And yeah, if you're staring down Oh, and three next, next week, the chargers or the Vikings are going to be already in panic mode come next week, depending on what happens here. Oh, and three, you're almost guaranteed not to make the playoffs. So the, the stats are just ridiculous. It's about, I think, 2%. Yes. With the 17 game season, though, I do think it is different. A little more. Yeah, that's true. And the NFC is workable. It's it's more workable for the Vikings or the Bears or things like that to be 0-3 and to climb, as I'll make a case for my Bears later, uh, because I'm I'm in desperation mode there. I need that. But 
I'm going to need all the good juju as possible is, um, is that in the 17 game season, there's more flexibility and in the NFC, but the chargers Vikings next week is going to be a must watch just for whoever loses. I mean, it could be full on implosion mode. I'm just not sure Minnesota knows who they are right now. It is a lot of, let's just rely on Justin Jefferson, find TJ Hawkinson over the middle occasionally, and uh, maybe take a deep shot. It it just, there's no, um, there's no rhythm, you know, football in a lot of ways has been compared to uh, jazz, but also just uh, there's a certain flow and rhythm that you want to establish uh, when you're playing football. And uh, this team doesn't seem to have it right now. A Philly, even even though their play has been a little clunky at times, to your point, they at least have an identity and, and they're going to be able to run the football well. And that defensive line is just a monster yet again. So and any team's going to have a lot of difficulty against that front. Let's move on to the uh, other team in the NFC North, the Packers on the road at the Falcons. Really good game here. Goes down to the wire. Uh, Packers fall by one, though. Falcons take it 25 to 24. Atlanta rushing for 211 yards, which is probably going to be the case all season long that we're going to be saying. It's identity. Uh, no, that, that is absolutely their identity. No Aaron Jones here for the pack. Yeah. Love throwing another three touchdowns in this game. Uh, who would have had six touchdown passes the first two weeks of Not the football I. season on their bingo card for Jordan Love? But here we are. Atlanta putting up 13 points, though, in the fourth quarter. The Packers did have that lead. But uh, that 13 points in the fourth quarter ended with the game-winning field goal with under a minute to go, and the rest is history as the Falcons uh, get the big victory. Packers almost off to a 2-0 start, uh, but narrowly escape uh, or or grasp uh, defeat from the jaws of victory, as they say, here in this one. Uh, Was this more about Atlanta being better than we thought they were, or was this about the Packers not having Aaron Jones and just kind of, you know, getting unlucky it was a one-point game after all. well I think it's obviously a mix of both but I think the biggest concern if I was a Packers fan and just analyzing it is that Jordan Love had a chance to really close this game out and they even had a chance to win the game and late in the fourth when things were really off script and you need just the man to make a play he was over and it wasn't it wasn't pretty football that's for sure and then as far as it, and defensively yeah they, they couldn't stop Atlanta when you knew what Atlanta was going to do which is just try to run the football and be physical. Shout out to the Falcons, though, finding a way to start off the year two and zero with your home, with games at home, and um, and really putting yourself in a nice position now um, to uh, to you know, hey, be around, hanging around early in the season. Next couple of weeks for Atlanta, tough games, you know, at Detroit, which you're going to have a motivated Lions team after that loss, and then you have to go uh, international against the Jaguars. So. Um, good for Atlanta. I mean, they are, they're surprising me early on in the year. I, I really thought the Packers were going to come out and especially once they got that lead, we're able to be able to hold on to it, but they couldn't. And I think that says something a little bit about the Packers. We also, I think we learned something about the Packers too, with how bad the bears played again in week two is like the Packers. Okay. They're beating up of the bears is some history, but also we're starting to realize the bears are just not a well-coached good football team. So Atlanta may be slightly better than I think, than I thought at the beginning of the year, but I don't think Carolina's that good, and I don't think Green Bay's that good. So where do these teams kind of fall? I'm not exactly sure. I just know that uh, if you're an Atlanta fan and you're rooting for Atlanta to make the playoffs, this 2-0 start 
has been huge because very much so two weeks ago, we could have predicted Atlanta. Yeah, being 0-2, whatever. Like, sure. And we don't know what to expect out of a Ritter and all that. Um, and and they've, they've proven that wrong. And then again, Jordan Love not in the fourth quarter, making the play, sealing the victory when he had the opportunity. That would be a little bit of a concern. His first chance to kind of prove that he could do that on the road. Couldn't get it done, but you'd like to think, all right, the positive uh, side of me, like you learn from it, you grow, and you know he's got this whole season for us to judge him and have these learning moments. Yeah, I think that there was obviously opportunities there for him to, you know, elevate and uh, impress. But at the same time, I will say, I think both of these teams are a little bit better than I forecasted coming into the year, and part of that is especially with the Packers, I, I am in no way insinuating that Jordan Love is a better um, even fit than Aaron Rodgers for this offense. But I think there's something to be said for Matt LaFleur being having control over his yeah. offense now, and we're seeing it work. You know, last week we saw just on on cue, timing was was almost impeccable at times with Jordan Love and just how they operated this offense. And this past week as well, you're down Aaron Jones. You know, A.J. Dillon didn't have a very good game, which uh, surprised me a little bit. Uh, but they were able to respond to the fact that they weren't maybe able to control the football as much as they'd like to. And they still were able to operate with some sort of rhythm and a yeah. cadence to how they played. And that was something we didn't see much last year with Aaron Rodgers there. And that, you know, part of that is all of the different checks at the line that he does. Sometimes simple is better for a team and especially for a younger yeah. team like green Bay, you know, maybe there's something to be said. Maybe this team does have a fighting chance, you know, to, to still compete for this division and win it. Um, I'm not going to go that far yet. I still think they are uh, kind of where we put them at before the season, but just kind of putting that out there because there is that possibility. And yeah, the Falcons, uh, you know, we knew they were going to be a good run team. I just didn't think it was going to translate into a Bijan looked great. But man, yeah, Bijan's phenomenal. Algier is uh, is fantastic as well. I mean, they really and, and their O line is is playing extremely well. Uh, they they could win a lot of games this way. It appears, yeah. and uh, you know, it gives Desmond coaching. Ritter a longer leash here for him to get you know acclimated to the NFL game. Uh, the Raiders on the road at the Bills. This was anything but a close game. The Bills uh, coming out motivated for sure. I mentioned a get right game uh, at the beginning of this episode, and this was certainly one for the Bills and for Josh Allen. 38 to 10, walloping over Las Vegas here by Buffalo. Josh Allen with three touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, they're able to get the run game going. James Cook, 123 yards on the ground in this one. Jimmy G on the other side of the ball, throwing two picks for Las Vegas. And Josh Jacobs, nine carries, yeah, negative two yards. From Elias Sports, this is the first time since the merger that the previous year's rushing champ was held to negative yards for an entire game. Brutal. So that's uh, that's uh, a lot of company there over 53 years. Jacob's in, in rare company, unfortunately, for him. But yeah, overall, Raiders uh, coming back to earth after an impressive week one win. The Bills coming back to what we thought they would be at least to uh, some extent of the high-flying offense they're putting up 38 points against the Raiders. Your main takeaways uh, from this 28-point victory. Yeah, Josh Allen's the takeaway. I mean, th 31 of 37, 
and three touchdowns, no interceptions, protecting the ball through the air, coming on out when all the pressure of the world was on him. Everyone was talking about him all week long. You have the Nick Wrights of the world going off and people just dumping on Josh Allen. For him to have the and bounce he did back. it without having to carry the ball very much. Yeah, and and, and and to just do it and to be efficient and to come out and just, you mean, this was an angry, motivated Bills team. And sometimes that's good, but also still will lead to like a turnover or, you know, they get too hyped up. No, they were in complete control. And it was a little nerve wracking, like when the Raiders went up seven, nothing. And it's like, oh, like this is, this could get bad. Like you get ugly in, in Buffalo and then Josh Allen steadied the ship. So he's the story there. Um, didn't love the Raiders staying on the East coast and going from Denver to then stay in the East coast. And again, Josh McDaniels just like poorly coached, uh, schemes and ideas. And, and this Raiders team certainly on the road against a really good opponent, uh, got exposed. And I think that's what we kind of expected from this Raiders team bills, big win. And I think they have the commanders next week. The surprise commanders who are high flying and scoring a million points. Uh, is Eric Bieniemy and what he's done with that offense. And so uh big win for the Bills, get right for the Bills. They did what all the other teams that needed a get-right game didn't do. You know what I mean? The Bengals didn't do that. The Bears didn't do that. The Bills did it. And they put up, they shut up, and they, and they went on and got a, a huge victory marching on. I don't care what the pace of the game is. Josh Jacobs should never have fewer than... 15 carries, let alone 10, yeah. you know, uh, this, that, that Again, was identity. It part speaks of the to game identity. plan. And yeah, it sure does. I mean, they were without Jacoby Myers, uh, who's not a world beater, uh, probably a better wide receiver than maybe, uh, he's given credit for, but I mean, they still had Devonte Adams who had a, a pretty good game. They had Hunter Renfro and they still couldn't move the, move the ball. Like it was just, um, not good, not good. And when you're Josh McDaniels, I mean, look, this is your MO. You're an offensive guy. Like you, you need to, you know, we hear it all the time. Like the coaches need to get their side of the ball right. Yeah. Dan Campbell did it, you know, in Detroit very quickly. You know, Brian Dable has done it to some extent in New York. And, you know, we can go down the list, uh, Sala and with the Jets. But yeah, McDaniel's got to, it's put up or shut up time, really. I mean, I don't know how much, how much more uh, leeway uh, you get uh, for, but before it's kind of just a restart yet again for the Raiders, but we shall see uh, good for the bills though. They needed this one. Absolutely. If they fell to own two, uh, there were going to be alarm bells ringing for sure. Meanwhile, Vegas, none of us expected much out of them to begin with this year. I mean, I think I predicted five wins. Yeah. So uh, this was kind of par for the course from that perspective, uh, going to a, a, a close game now in the AFC North um, rough, outing yet again for the Bengals. I mean, not overall, like in terms of their production, obviously the offense was much better than they were week one against the Browns, but uh, no less heartbreaking of a loss there for the Bengals, 27 to 24 in favor of the Ravens um, in Cincinnati uh, to boot. Lamar Jackson, very efficient in this game. Mark, two touchdowns, no picks. He had 54 yards on the ground. Uh, Burrow, though, throwing a, a crucial red zone interception in this game. And then uh, to add insult to injury, re-aggravated that calf in the fourth yeah, quarter and comes that's brutal. a little bit. So tough one. We're not sure how severe it is. It doesn't look like it's going to be anything long term, but definitely not good news to have an injury early on and then to re-aggravate it this early into the season. And, you know, for the Bengals, 
there are now question marks about what they're able to do. I mean, they, they haven't been able to run the football at all these past two weeks. And the passing offense has kind of come in in waves. Uh, certainly it was this past week. Meanwhile, yeah. the Ravens are starting to already gain steam. They're 2-0 and on the season. Uh, yeah, Baltimore's looking like they're in charge now of this division early on, where the Bengals now are going to have to be fighting back, much like they did last year when they were down 0-2 to start the season. Yeah, the the, the killer for the Bengals is 0-2, you lose at home and you're 0 and 2 in division. I mean that is that's really yeah. killer to start the year as well. So now you you have to look at the rest of your schedule and say to yourself, how do we make sure we go 2 and 0 against Pittsburgh, which isn't going to be the easiest thing in the world, and how do we make sure we don't lose again to the Ravens and the Browns? So a really tough start of the season for the Bengals. I'm not panicking on the Bengals yet. The injury, I'll wait and get and see if Joe's actually going to miss time or not. But they started slow the last three years, and they have in the last two years after starting slow, they picked it up. One of the years they went to a Super Bowl. You know, last year they were in an, a, uh, an uh, you know AFC Championship game, and so I I'm going to give Joe Burrow the benefit of that doubt. But now you're 0 two, 0 and two in division, so third year in a row starting slow. And um, the money is obviously a, a factor because the fans now expect something different. Uh, I don't think Joe Burrow has any necessarily reason to worry, but we talk so much about teams that have a window. And when you when you feel like you have a window and it's open, a, a throwaway year is is a, could be just absolutely detrimental and devastating, especially in the NFL. That's why when you look at like the Ravens last year, we talked about it. They feel like they're still like in this window and then Lamar just not playing and bubble. Like it's a throwaway year. And it's like, that's what was made the end of the year. So frustrating for Ravens fans last year. So unless he's really injured and it's, and it's, you know, yeah, I got to miss, you know, months of the season, then you can write that off, but just having not a good enough year when your windows open, that's a real concern. That's what the Bills faced after week one. They righted that wrong. It's what the Bengals faced after week one. They haven't righted the wrong yet. No panic yet, but it's, um, they got to turn, they got to get going here quickly. And the AFC falling 0 3, 0 4 is brutal. Yeah, it's hard to like make any declarative statements about this game because it was a three point loss yeah. uh, to a very talented divisional opponent. And the Ravens look good. And and the Ravens do look good uh, with that Todd Munkin offense and just a little bit more buttoned up than we've seen it in the past. So, yeah, I mean, the, the Bengals should be somewhat encouraged by the a better performance than they put out week one. And, you know, if there's any, you know, light at the end of the tunnel, they have the Rams, the Titans and the Cardinals on deck here the next three games. Yeah. All three winnable games. They could find themselves back at three and two after five weeks. And right back in the flow of things, not to mention getting some momentum going into the middle of the season. So no panic button just yet for the Bengals. Meanwhile, the Ravens just got to keep coasting right now because they're looking yeah. pretty good. Lamar, efficient football. It looks like he's comfortable yep. in the offense. It looks like he's just loving having the weapons right now. And I know it sucks that they have the injuries, but if any team is capable of dealing with the injuries, it's the Ravens. They've been dealing with the injuries yeah. for like five they're years straight now. So I I think um, I may have overreacted to Baltimore being injured in like leaning heavy and going with Cincinnati last week. 
knowing that, listen, Baltimore is just next man up right now. And I, I heard a stat somewhere that John Harbaugh, when he's an underdog, is something like ridiculous against the spread. Like when the Ra- hmm. Ravens will lose his favorites, but when they're underdogs, Harbaugh is, is a great motivator. Yeah, he's a great head coach, and they always have a deep running back room, which helps. Uh, uh you know, yep. all of these years with the J.K. Dobbins injuries and and other injuries at that position. Uh, so you know, Gus Edwards stepped up, Justice Hill and Lamar obviously can do his thing uh, with his legs as well. The Seahawks go on the road at Detroit, surprising, and, uh, and, and get a win, thirty-seven to thirty-one over the Lions. A very good game, uh, high scoring, obviously there with uh, 68 total points in this one. Geno Smith, 32 of 41 for 328 yards, two touchdowns, very efficient quality outing for him after looking somewhat sluggish in week one. Jared Goff on the other side puts up 323 yards, three touchdowns, but he did throw a pick six, uh, and it happened with eight minutes to go in the fourth. That made it a 10-point game. That was really the swing in the game that kind of put this one in the Seahawks' favor, they were able to to put up six more points after that, but it did feel a little bit uh, more out of reach at that point. And then, unfortunately for the Lions, David Montgomery gets hurt in this game. Told reporters it will be a couple weeks before he's healthy again. It was a, a, an injury to his quad, so hoping that he comes back. But looks like the Lions will have to lean on Jameer Gibbs their first round pick a little bit more in the coming weeks, but all in all quality performance from both offenses. It was just that one mistake. And sometimes yeah. that's all it takes to, to turn a game in one's favor, but neither defense very impressive in this one either, no. which is probably going to be the concern for both of these clubs, Mark. Absolutely. Defensive uh, defensive concerns for both teams, you know, just giving up points, points, points. I will say for the lions, one of the things that frustrates me is that I love the, I mean, Dan Campbell aggressive going for it on fourth down early in the game, like multiple yeah. times. <laughs> and if you don't get it, you don't get it. But that's like, all right, be aggressive. And then late in the game, he doesn't go for it and settles for the field goal. You know, like, where's the consistency? Like, either kick the field goal every time and live with that, but you're you're gonna st- you're gonna live and die by your philosophy. But sometimes I just think then it's like. I, and I'm sure he would argue, well, flow of the game, momentum. At that point in time, we want to keep ourselves alive. But you're at home. You're going for it on fourth down. You're, you're, the strength of your team is both your offensive and defensive lines, like that that line play. And so, I, that, to me, that's a an early season question for the Lions. But overall, I will say, even though I picked the Lions to win this game, and I thought the Lions would win this game, and I do think the Lions overall like let the game go as opposed to the Seahawks necessarily winning the game. Um, huge win for Seattle to, to to get some momentum back. Tough loss for Detroit, not panicking for Detroit yet. But the NFC North overall right now, really glad that Detroit lost this game because it's a, if you're a Vikings fan and a Bears fan right now, you're 0-2. And both teams are staring down the barrel of 0-3 with the Chiefs and the Chargers coming and playing for both those teams next week. But even at 0-3, this division doesn't feel like it could be out of reach at all still, just from the way the early play has gone with both the Packers and the Lions as well. So that, to me, is the overall look and feel leaving this game. Lions, I still feel like the best team in the division, man, they probably should have found a way to win that game. They should have won that game. And they may be kicking themselves down the road for letting that one get away.
Yeah, that's a tough one for the Lions because the you know victory was within grasp for them, and and obviously being able to start uh, the season two and zero would have been an extremely huge uh, uplifting you know moment for this franchise, and and just to to put them on that trajectory that they've been looking for. But you know, on the other side, the Seahawks were staring down an zero and two start in the division um, that or not in the division, but. Uh, just in a division where every win is going to count because they're going to be chasing the 49ers most of the season. Yeah. And so to be able to keep pace somewhat and, uh, and, and, and get your offense back in rhythm, I think that was a huge moment for them. Kenneth Walker had a good game. Oh yeah. Uh, they were able to, to get, you know, moments out of their studs, Tyler Lockett, you know, coming up huge in this game uh, w- with a big, you know, late touchdown. So all in all, I think the the Seattle needed this probably even more because uh, we were already starting to feel a little bit concerned after after week one, just because yeah. uh, was this was this a lightning in the bottle with Geno Smith for one year and then it's going to fall apart? They come back, put up this performance against a good team. It kind of shows like okay, no, like Geno is still in command of this offense. They're still you know operating on a rhythm, able to uh, to have that cohesion, and uh, they're multifaceted. They can run the show ball, me the... and now, now they have more weapons to contend yeah. with. Jackson show Smith me the consistency, Detroit. Show me the consistency. If you're exactly. going to be aggressive, stay aggressive. If you're going to kick the field goals, kick the field goals, take those points, because those points would have mattered still in the game the way it shook out. So I, I understand flow of the rhythm and game and things like that, I, I think, matter, but that was disappointing. If we see David Montgomery out for three weeks, let's say, just playing with numbers here, I'm curious to see what what their offense looks like then because they haven't really given yeah. Jameer Gibbs carries out of the backfield. Yeah. He has been used as the Montgomery's uh, been the workhorse. Back. And so yeah, are are they gonna are they gonna just be more pass happy than they already are? Um, I'm not sure, but they're gonna need to uh, figure that out. In, in, their in defense time. has to step up with that Atlanta run game coming coming to Detroit next week. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah that's gonna be yes, uh, a smack in the mouth type of situation. They're gonna have to match that physicality, no question about it. All right, let's go to the only overtime game of the slate: the Chargers at the Titans, and Tennessee gets a 27-24 win in OT. Bounce back game for Ryan Tannehill after an atrocious efficient. week one. Very, very efficient in this game. Herbert played well, too, on the flip side, but the Chargers could not run the football. They are now 0-2, uh, but, yeah, Tennessee holding the Chargers to a 3-and-out in that opening drive of overtime and then able to drive it down, ending with a Nick Folk 41-yard field goal to win the game, 27-24. Chargers already in a, a tough spot. Yeah, surprisingly, no turnovers in this game, especially with the Titans uh, turning the ball over a ton last week. None for either team in this ball game, but yeah, the Chargers uh, short end of the stick lose by three. They're zero and two. Think it says more now about the state of the Chargers. They're lucky that the the Chiefs are just one and one. That the Broncos are the state that they're in, and the Vegas is who they are. Chargers still within this one, Mark. But I don't know. Are you already feeling? a little bit of panic for LA given the, the way they've looked the past couple of weeks where the offense has played well, but they still can't get a victory. I mean, they can't stop. I mean, you had 11, nothing lead and then you give up the big plays and then all of a sudden it's 11, seven and, and you find yourself in a ball game, 14, 10 at half and defensively you have a defensive head coach and his, and his side of the ball 
is just really, really struggling. And Ryan Tannehill, credit to him coming on out, righting the wrongs. That's what this team needs Ryan Tannehill to be, and they can compete for a wild card spot in the AFC. The Chargers, they need their defense to step up and, and to make big plays, and they need uh, the ability. I mean, they were without Austin Eckler, and so he's a huge weapon for them, and Kelly uh, just didn't have the explosive plays that you, you want out of the running back position that you expect when you have Austin Eckler playing. Um, but overall, Herbert played well enough to win. The Chargers offense played well enough to win. The defense just didn't make enough big plays at the time when they needed him to. And I think he, he's he got the hottest hot seat in the NFL right now. That's for sure. And if you're the Titans, you keep your head down. You don't say anything. You stay out of the way. You stay out of the limelight, the media, and you just fly under the radar. And you try to keep stacking and stealing wins when you can. That's exactly what this Titans team should do. It's a variable team in that way. Uh, hard nose, physical, and uh, and you know what? If they just got to chip away, chip away, and methodically move the ball down the field and then hit those occasional big plays, then that'll work for them. That'll work for them in that division especially. Chargers are a mess. I mean, 0-2 right now. We've already talked about that game against the Vikings next week is massive. It's a can't lose for the Chargers. And it's a must win for the Vikings. <laughs> you know, Chargers can't lose. Well you can't said. be 0-3. And the Vikings have got to get a win. I believe that game's in Minnesota, too. So Chargers, really, really, really brutal, brutal start to the season, especially because they're both winnable games. It's not even like the bit, it's not even like uh you look at like the Bengals who just got like blown out by the Browns. Like, all right, well, we weren't ready to play, we weren't ready to compete. Or like the Bills, who just were sloppy and a disaster and gave a game away, and then they came back and punched a t uh, an inferior team in the mouth. Roster-wise, it's not even close. The Chargers are the much better team than the Titans. I don't care where the game is played. And the fact that you had a lead, too, in this game, uh, and you couldn't hold on to it, that's bad defensive coaching. Yeah, you got to be able... I mean, uh, again, the, the defensive coach uh, couldn't get that part of the, uh, the football of the team down you know and yeah. uh and that that's a problem do you think i mean i would agree that it's probably the hottest seat uh in in the nfl currently are are you considering kellen more than if that's the case if if he gets fired uh is is it an easy promotion from your well from your i mean eyes i didn't love i didn't Moore? love a lot of the chargers play calling in the second half and you had a couple yeah. quick three and outs and so they at least i will say this they have a head coach in waiting to try. If it gets bad, if they go to 0-3, if they fall to maybe then 2-6 and six or something like that, and they just can't keep going and, and the offense is still putting up enough points, then you might just say, yeah, we need to just try to see if Kellen Moore is the coach in waiting and give him the interim tag for the rest of the year. Maybe that you know swings the momentum and we slight differences in decision-making and calls. Who knows? But right now, it's not. They are the team right now with the coach who's on the hottest seat. It is absolutely, yeah. it's not hot take to say that. It's just the way the NFL is working. And, it, and the part of it is because offensively, and their young quarterback is playing good enough to win these games. He's not turning the ball over. He is playing efficient football. And you have other quarterbacks who are not doing that. And they still at least have one or two wins in the win column. And the Chargers don't. 
yeah, another team that doesn't have a win in the win column, not to add, uh, put salt in the wound, but that takes us to the Bears. I'm dead. The Buccaneers. I'm dead. <laughs> Tampa wins 27 to 17. Uh, rough outing all dead. around for Chicago. Fields uh, continues to struggle. One touchdown, two picks, including that crushing fourth quarter pick six that went about five yards because it was uh, in their own end zone, essentially. Uh, and then Bucks rushed for 120 yards, Bears for 67. You know, DJ Moore, Mike Evans were the the, the highlights really of the day. Uh, Mike Evans going for both going for over 100. Mike, Mike Evans, Evans push off of the day. And uh, yes, yes, for sure, for sure, we could talk about that. Uh, but nonetheless, <laughs> at the end of the day, Tampa is now two and O. Surprisingly, at least surprisingly for us, Bears on the other hand, O and two. Mark, I will give you the floor. So as far as the game goes, I think overall my impressions were just, listen, again, really, really poor offensive play calling at times, really, really poor offensive execution of those bad play calls. Um, there is, you can still see it from last year, this year, there is an, ab a, an abundance more talent on the field. The problem is where they really needed improvement and they did go out and, and with Tevin Jenkins and then Nate Davis. You didn't have Nate Davis. You don't have Tevin Jenkins. So you're still missing your two starting guards. And against that Tampa front, that was not great. Justin Fields, to me, I'll get to him in a bit. I want to talk about the fact that the Bears have a defensive head coach, and they spent a lot of money on upgrading their defense uh, in the offseason. That was the focus. And we knew it needed to be because their defense was historically bad last year. We thought, all right, Get Eberflus his guys. We like his messaging. He seems like he's an adult in the room who makes good decisions. And so this should turn around. Well, the Bears are now the first team in NFL history to lose 12 straight games, giving up 25 or more points in every single one. Defensive wow. head coach with his upgraded defense. The Chicago Bears defense on third and fourth down. Pass defense on third and fourth down and through two, two games. They've given up 20 of 23, so it's 87% completion percentage for 282 yards and three touchdowns. On the crucial third and fourth downs, you're giving up 87% completions, 282 yards, three touchdowns, eight 15-yard receptions allowed, so chunk plays on third and fourth down. You are also only giving up, oh, 157.3 passer rating allowed on third down. Um, and, um, and, and so defensively with your defensive head coach, this is horrible defensive play. And he was the play caller because your defensive coordinator didn't travel with the team because of personal reasons. And so you have your defensive head coach calling your defense on the road against Baker Mayfield. And, and a and a yeah. Bucks offensive line that is no longer their strength. It is not a strength. There's a very it's a solid offensive line, but it's you know it's not the Eagles' offensive line. And Baker Mayfield picked you apart. He absolutely picked you apart. And then on the offensive side of the ball, it looks again like an offensive play design and play scheme that is way too reliant on your quarterback being in shotgun and reading when that's not what he does well. What our quarterback does well is make plays when things break down, throws a really good deep ball, and is an athletic freak who you should use more in play action. Now, let me give you this one too, Dan. 
I watched, shout out of a, a, a Twitter account, I'm Bearing Down on Twitter. They put together, it's about a four-minute video of every single one of Justin Fields' dropbacks in the game versus Tampa. Only two plays of his dropbacks started under center. So they're not. there's no eye formation. There's no under center, fake handoff, roll out, play action, none of that. None of that. Everything is I. There's uh, and the I formation for the rollout. One of those two was when he ran it in from the goal line. So when you're talking about in the middle of the field, the looks you're giving them is single back sets, and 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 shotgun. That's it. You're going shotgun with no back or a single back set, a running back to the right or the left of Justin Fields. That is predictable, bad play calling, play design for a quarterback who's not built to succeed in the NFL level with that offense. If you go back and look at Justin Fields' highlights from college, yeah, you're in the shotgun the whole time. That's college football. It's a completely different game. And when you are when you have an offensive line that is struggling because you're missing two of your starters, help them out by getting into I formations, multiple tight ends, running heavy sets and and showing different looks. You don't have to run the ball off of all of that, but give me different looks. Let my quarterback start under center have the ability to audible something and roll out or move or change something else. Obviously, the play, the goal line was terrible. The interception, Justin, what really made it, what killed me today was Justin Fields said in the press conference afterwards, you know, obviously we called the play two times in a row and uh, seven made a great play. Today on the air, Matt Eberflus on ESPN 1000 Chicago on, I believe, Cap Show, he said, I saw the quote on Twitter, well, you know, our quarterback does have the option to audible out of those plays. So now we got the coach, th the oh. quarterback throwing the coach under the bus, and then the head coach throwing the quarterback under the bus. What scares me is this is a head coach and a GM who are tied together and a quarterback who's from a previous regime. The problem is at this moment, I actually believe in the general manager. I think the general manager has made really solid moves in building this roster. I don't think the general manager has picked the right person for the head coach, but I don't think he necessarily had full say on who that head coach was going to be. Because you remember mm -hmm. that when that Bill hiring Pullian. process happened, right. there was people yeah. in that, and he was hired. And then like a week later, it was Ibrafus. He only interviewed like one guy. I got the sense that, they were interviewing head coaches and gyms at the same time. They hired Poles a week later. They hired Ibraflus. Seemed as though they were kind of like, make this work. You like him, right? And the problem is, I when the Bears and Mitch Trubisky, when it started falling apart with Matt Nagy, that final year of them together, what did they do? They moved on from Trubisky. They kept the coach. And then they got the new quarterback and the new Andy Dalton, Justin Fields rookie. And they saw, all right, is it the coach or is it the quarterback? And then we learned that the coach also stunk and it was the quarterback and the coach. Well, now we're in that same situation again. We're like, wait a minute, is this just really bad coaching? And we have the right guy, the physical freak athlete who's shown the potential, or is it, wait a minute, these schemes are solid and they're good, but this guy's not executing them. My gut tells me as from being a bear fan my whole life and watching I'm leaning towards more Justin Fields' side versus the coaching side. Luke Getzey's play calling. That four-minute video, again, no no plays under center. Really predictable stuff. You had Levante David, the, the linebacker from 
Uh, Tampa in a in a viral tweet this morning also saying, "Oh, we knew it was coming." Like we we they were in the same formation for the interception return for a touchdown in the end zone. He's like, "Yeah, we knew it was coming. They were in the same formation." So I'm going to trust that. I'm and again, Luke Getzey's offense at the beginning of the year last year was shit. It was terrible. It wasn't until they yeah. just completely copied the Ravens and let them let him run for a thousand yards in eight games that they actually did something. But that's not Luke Getzey's offense. Luke Getzey is showing you what he wants his offense to be. It's the same thing we started last year with, and it's a bunch of shotgun spread out formation that is not, I think, beneficial to your young athletic quarterback. No designed runs. Uh, the run game was non-existent. The Bears had an identity last year post Monday Night Football game with the with the Patriots. They ran the football. They led the league in rushing. They're nowhere near that right now. And you let David Montgomery go because you thought you had scheme guys who were better fits, and your scheme right now is absolutely failing. And your defensive head coach is giving up twenty five points a game, and you've lost twelve straight games. So it's bad news all around for the Bears. I, I think to put a button on it. Shout out to Tampa. They're well better coached than I thought they'd be at this time of the year. And Baker is playing really solid football through two games. So credit where that's due. But overall, my thought on the Bears right now is how did I think they were going to be 2-0 and now they're 0-2? I overestimated. I thought the talent was the problem. And they added so much talent. I thought, wow, we have a, 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 an adult as a head coach. We have, you know, a scheme, an offensive coordinator that really made strides last season and made changes, and they reverted back to some really poor offensive scheming, and clearly the head coach now has got the talent, or they've added talent, and the results aren't anywhere better. So it's a it's a real cluster of a situation in Chicago right now. Yeah, it's, a, it's definitely concerning to start the year 0-2 the way they have, especially. If there's any solace for Chicago fans out there, I, next week is almost certainly a loss. You're going to Arrowhead Stadium. You're probably going to be 0-3 come yeah. next week. But after that, there's opening the Broncos, the Commanders, the Vikings. There's a lot. There's an opportunity Winnable in games. those three straight. Uh, and the Raiders after that. So there's an opportunity in that four-game stretch to get right and start to build. Next week, I think, to your point, is an opportunity to try and formulate some sort of an identity, uh, consistency, and identity. And, um, you know, maybe get Roshan Johnson a little bit more involved. Do something with uh, with this run game, and then you can boot off of it and, and get uh, more RPOs involved, things of that yeah. nature for sure. Um, play action there still could be a light at the end of the tunnel here for the bears it's just a tough start for sure um and uh and and, and there's there's opportunity to be had the, the rest the, of the season the, i i couldn't agree with you more and thank you for saying that and i'm gonna stay positive because that's the kind of bears fan i am and i will say the only thing that will really concern me next next week if it's like if it's a 40 to seven blowout like that's that's where it's like i don't even care about the next four games like that yeah yeah. You like I can't sit here and Show think, oh, they could be Show four and three. If the Bears are able to scrap themselves and fight and claw and lose a game 27-20, and Patrick Mahomes takes a drive at the end and the Bears show real fight, then I'll say, you know what? This is a team that could don't sleep on them now. They could be four and three if they right some wrongs here and they get rolling and they get hot. But 
Next week is a is a huge put up or shut up game for them. It was a circled loss at the beginning of the year, and so you have an opportunity to shock the world. But more importantly, you have an opportunity to to hit pause, reset, and say, for the love of God, throw out the shit that's not working, and 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 dig up the stuff that was working. Like go back to the drawing mm-hmm. board. Luke Getze is probably the second hottest coach on the hot seat. Iberflus isn't going to fire himself, but if his offense keeps struggling like that, that's a way for him to, you know, maybe to save his job or, or whatever they, that comes into. But that's how bad it is in Chicago. I'd say Matt Iberflus is maybe the second hottest coach in the hot seat. It sounds like polls and Kevin Williams, the president, uh, they're aligned. Like I think polls is their guy as a GM. I really do. And I, yeah, and I, I think I they like, I really think they like Justin Fields. I really do. And I don't, I don't blame them for liking Justin Fields. I think Eberflus and 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 Getzey, their seats are hot right now. I I don't necessarily think it's all on the players. Yeah, yep. Yeah, no, I agree. And and speaking of the Chiefs for next week, they were on the road at Jacksonville in a clash of the Titans, so to speak. Funky game. Uh, Chiefs win seventeen to nine. It was clunky. That was a you know definitely a a, a good. Uh, good way to describe it. Uh, no touchdowns in this one for Jacksonville. I think that was kind of the story uh, in my mind uh, from watching this game. I watched it from start to finish. This was the game I was most glued in on yeah. uh, with, with Pittsburgh not playing. Uh, Kelsey returned in this one, gets himself a touchdown. He obviously was uh, was put on tilt at a couple different points of this game. Um, but, you know, you like that fiery passion from Kelsey and the team there was just a lot of frustration you sensed from both sidelines throughout yeah. this game and really neither offense could could get much going it was actually a great display of of defensive game planning on both sides I thought Jacksonville had a phenomenal game plan they really took yeah. they took everything away from Kansas City in terms of we're not giving up the deep ball but we're also keeping everything in front of us and making your guys earn their yards after the catch. There weren't m- many pockets for Kelsey to sit under, so he didn't have a big game. Uh, Tony, you know, obviously got himself going at a, at a few nice catches. Sky Moore did too, but overall, Chiefs' offense did not find a rhythm until maybe the fourth quarter, where they started to run more effectively with Pacheco with that lead in mind. On the other side, Jacksonville. I thought Trevor Lawrence actually played pretty well throughout the game. He yeah. didn't kill them at any moment. The The problem was that their offense was terrible in the red zone. They couldn't convert and get yeah, that brutal. much needed touchdown. And then finally, Mark, the one thing I'll say, which is just something that stood out to me from this game that I don't think I've seen in a game like this in a long time was the luck for Jacksonville. <laughs> So many catches just out of oh, bounds no. for this team. I yeah. mean, Kelvin Ridley, Zay Jones. It's a bad Ingram, luck, uh, bad luck game. It was it was pretty rough. I mean, to see their catches just out of bounds, both in the end zone uh, and just on some big plays uh, that ended up turning into either punts or field goals, and uh, just brutal. It, it seemed like that kind of day for both teams. Yeah. And when it's gonna when it's that kind of neither team is performing well, it's going to go in favor of the team with Patrick Mahomes and the the better overall coach team. So no no main takeaways from my end, Mark. Yeah. Uh, curious what your thoughts were. I think both teams just played No, I think um, you nailed well it. I mean, on, the, on defense, yeah. The Chiefs' defense right now is, is scary. Like, they're playing defense like that. This is Mahomes' best defense so far. 
It looks yeah. like it could be. And I think welcome back, those, Chris Jones, by the way. Yeah. It's one of those classic examples of like an over-emotionalized game. Jacksonville, you could tell, was really up for this game. And I think they were just uh, like 10% too emotional. And that led to the bad luck, the weird turnovers, the fumble. Inter- you know what I mean? Like, was that like interception, fumble, fumble, interception, turnovers like in a row. And for, for the Chiefs, I felt like also you get Kelsey back, you get Jones back. There's, we need to win. We can't go to 0-2. And it just felt like everyone was, you know, gripping for the bar of soap too much. You know what I mean? It just kept slipping out of their hands. Uh, but I think the one thing to look back at this game will be week 16, week 17. These two teams could be battling for the number one overall seed. And if the Jacksonville Jaguars had to play the, the AFC championship game in Arrowhead because they lost home field advantage because this week two loss, that's going to be something you sure. look back and you say to yourself, our season came down to week two. That's why these games matter because both teams, I think, are on a great trajectory to keep uh, plugging along. Uh, the Chiefs should get to two and one. The Jags have a schedule that was, we've gone over a million times. is so workable for them, and they'll be fine. Both teams will be fine. Uh, just an over-emotionalized game. Yep, for sure. Uh, Colts go on the road. Another divisional game here between uh, the two AFC South opponents. The Colts. Yeah. Uh, put a hurt on the Texans, thirty-one to twenty. It was uh, much more in favor of the Garner Minshew than that. That score indicates, yeah, Anthony Richardson, the rookie with two rushing touchdowns, looked really good early on. But it was kind of funny because I saw the quote of what Trevor Lawrence told Richardson after the game last week was saying, "Hey, man, you're super talented. Just take care of yourself." Yeah, the hits in the NFL are a little bit more intense than those in college, and what happens, unfortunately. Richardson, after his second rushing touchdown, uh, leaves with a concussion. So Gardner Minshew comes in, plays super well, hyper efficient, and uh, and leads them to a victory. Like I said, the eleven point win was a little bit of a, uh, you know, it doesn't tell the full story. The Colts dominated this game from start yeah. to finish. And Mark, what, what's the storyline once again? CJ Stroud, Stroud threw the ball forty-seven times. Exactly. He looked. He looked. Past times. But 384 yards. I mean, he looked he looked pretty darn good at times, all things considered. When you ask him to do that much, sometimes you see that stat line for a young quarterback, 47 attempts, and he'll have like 211 yards. Like, Jesus Christ. This yeah, is, yeah. I mean, at least he was able to move the ball at times. No, and he didn't kill them. He kept them in the he, game. Yes, somewhat, absolutely. You know? But yes. you have got to, if you're the Houston Texans, take the ball out of this kid's hands for the love the of God. For the love of God, help him out out there. And then, yeah, the storyline is just for the Colts. Hey, this is why you have Minshew. If you are the Ravens, the Bears, the the Colts, with these explosive running quarterbacks, you need a backup quarterback who absolutely can do this for you. And the Colts have that in Gardner Minshew. That's a luxury, and it helps them get their season kind of righted the ship to 500. So credit to them and for the Texans. Keep struggle, keep working on finding your identity. And for D'Amico Ryan's that defense, it's young, still missing some of the veterans they signed. Uh, Jimmy Ward, I don't know if he even played yesterday yet. Um, I think the Texans are a team that will improve as the year goes on. I don't think they're bottoming out or anything like that. You already saw a little bit of improvement week to week, and uh, they just got to find a way to stop throwing the rock around. 
Yeah, and I mean, unfortunately for the Texans, if they do end up being the worst team in the league, they did give up that 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 pick to the Cardinals. Uh, so, I mean, imagine the Cardinals being the the first and second overall picks in next year's draft. Be that well, the Bears very well could do that as very well. well could Depending on what the, the Bears, Panthers do tonight, uh, the Bears also could end up. That's very true. Very true. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to uh, the NFC West showdown between the 49ers and the Rams. Sam My Rams Fran wins thirty to twenty three. Hey, your Rams are definitely looking better than I forecasted to begin the season. That is for sure. Puka but they lose Nakua. this one by seven. And Puka Nakua. How about this, Mark? He had fifteen catches in this game. The rookie stud out of BYU. What fourth round pick? I believe fifth round. Pick. I knew this was coming. Uh, first predicted. player in NFL history. <laughs> yeah, I I'm sure you predicted this. Yeah, first player in NFL history. <laughs> With 10 or more receptions and 100 or more yards receiving in their first two career games ever in the history of the league. Matt Puka Stafford Nakua. is a kingmaker. Matt Stafford <laughs> is a kingmaker. He's a kingmaker who throws 55 times in this game. And, uh, you know, for eight, I, I was really worried about the arm, how it would hold up. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm not going to give up on that take just yet. We'll see how this plays out come yeah. season. But he threw 55 times. And looked all right in, in the in terms of the zip on the ball and everything. Yeah. Unfortunately, he he threw two interceptions in this game. Just not enough on the offensive side here for the Rams, although they may have found their running back after Cam Akers was inactive for this game. The drama of Cam Akers. It's like it, they're it's addicted bizarre. to uh, But Kyron Williams uh, played pretty well, uh, gets into the end zone again for them. But, you know, Christian McCaffrey, again, 116 yards on the ground. Beast. Brock Purdy. His efficient self, once again, although I will say this time around, missed on a couple big-time plays Dead. down the field. That would have been big touchdowns. But they still win despite all of that, and they're looking good. So the 49ers on track, still looking just as good uh, as they did in week one and as good as their uh, record indicates, as good as their roster indicates. The Rams playing a little bit of maybe above their weight in terms of what their roster construction is. It comes in a loss here for them, unfortunately for LA, but overall uh, an interesting showdown with that. That was the first ever matchup between a number one overall pick and uh, uh, the Mr. last Relevant. overall pick uh, ever between uh, Matt Stafford there and Brock Purdy. But yeah, seven point win for the 49ers. They go to two and O now on the season. Yeah. That, to me, you said pretty much everything there needs to be said with this game. I think the, I think the Rams are surprising people. And I think that the Rams are now going to be, you know, you can't just write them in as an automatic W. They they look feisty. They look like they have some teeth, and they're well-coached. I mean, you can just see the talent dearth compared to a team like the Niners, and yet they're they're hanging around. And I and that is a lot of Sean McVay, and it's a lot of Matt Stafford. Um, if they can find a way to cut down the turnovers, they may sneak out of there uh, at home with a win against a, a much more talented football team. So... Uh, the Niners, uh, yeah, they're chugging along. Rams could keep surprising people. Yeah, Niners at this point look like they may be the best team in the NFL uh, with with how they've been playing these first two weeks. But yet again, uh, you know, strength of schedule plays a factor in that for sure. All right, the Giants go on the road at the Cardinals and uh, eke out a victory against Arizona. Yeah. So that started Josh. Tough Dobbs. start. New York was down 28-7 to in the third quarter and – uh, scored 24 unanswered points to come back and win this game. It's the first 21 plus point comeback for the Giants since 1949. Saquon Barkley played phenomenal, did leave with an ankle injury in the fourth quarter of this game. 
Recent reports indicate that it's not uh, a serious injury. Um, however, the X and the X-rays were negative. MRI set for today, but they do play Thursday. So unlikely, I would estimate that he plays this upcoming Thursday. Yeah, he's probably lucky that he might be back, uh, you know, sooner rather than later. Clearly, the Giants need him because to pull off this 21 plus point comeback, historic comeback for them, they needed Saquon Barkley to to play dominantly. And uh, and he sure did. I don't I mean, obviously, you know, they're feeling great about themselves right now, New York. I, I I would be almost a little embarrassed that it took a historic comeback against a very, very poor Cardinals team uh, to get you in the win column. Now, they did avoid an 0-2 start, so hey, you know, there you go. Happy for you. But I would uh, I would pump the brakes on the excitement in New York if I were if you know I were the fans and if I were in that locker room. Yeah, listen, listen. A win's a win, and the Cardinals obviously are we all believe are in a, in a tank mode. But they show some fight, and they uh, they came out and had a nice little lead, and I think it punched the Giants in the mouth. And, I, and the Giants, to their credit, the Cardinals wanted to lose that game. I think deep down, like the like the mm-hmm. the air of it is they wanted to lose, and the Giants had to find a way to actually steal the the game away from them. The Giants. Wins a win. Don't overthink it. But yeah, I'm not buying back into the Giants anytime soon. We just got some breaking news on Patrick Mahomes. You see this? Adam Schefter. Adam Schefter, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes have restructured his agreement, giving him $210 million over the next three years between 2023 and 2026. The most money in NFL history over a four season span. So he's getting 50. Five point. He's getting a little more than Joe Burrow now over the next four years. Yep. Also, the Chiefs and Mahomes plan to revisit the agreement after the 2026 season. Interesting. Wow. Wow. All right. Well, there you go. I mean, I don't know why exactly they're doing that. You know, I I guess the question might might have come into into play that. You know, with all of these recent deals coming down, uh, Mahomes wanted uh, a little bit more weighted up front, uh, perhaps. Like pay and, me more over the next four years, and then I'll take big discounts at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that very well could be the case, right? Uh, they could you could say, you know, this is the prime years. I, I want the big money now. Um, Crazy. And and see where things fall. Just dropped him, Adam Schefter. But yeah, yeah. Very interesting news. Glad you caught that for sure. So Mahomes getting. Uh, We'll have to spend more time this week. We'll probably have to do another episode this week, recap Monday Night Football, and then we can maybe check in on that too, and we'll do a a shorter episode on that. Yeah, good call. Yeah, we got two Monday Night Games coming up too. Um, All right, finally, uh, we'll get to these last three games here. The Jets uh, fall to the Cowboys 30-10. to No life there for New York at all. Yeah, it's uh, A a lot of people were saying like, well, the Jets defense, where did they show up? As soon as your quarterback and your offense just can't score anymore – like even though that Jets defense is maybe yeah. one of the top five most talented defenses in the NFL probably is, you you just you're human, right? Like you, the energy's gone, it's dead. And let's be honest, Dallas's defense, Dan, I'll toss you. Like they may be the best unit in all football right now. Oh yeah, they have been playing uh, lights out at every phase and every level uh, of that defense. They forced four turnovers, including a fumble recovery, uh, you know, by Micah Parsons there. And, you know, he's obviously a game wrecker, looked like the best player in the league, let alone best defensive player in the league in this game. 
Dak was super efficient. But yeah, I mean, the Dallas defense was really the the name of the game in this one, uh, holding Zach Wilson to under 50% completion percentage. And I don't care what quarterback you are in this league. If you could do that and hold a, an opposing quarterback to, to that poor of a performance, you're going to win most games. I mean, to me, it's something we've talked about uh, last week when we had frustration with something with the way that uh, some of these players have been utilized uh, for the Jets this week. It was Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook combining yeah. for nine touches. Nine touches brutal. for two of your three uh, best superstars on offense. Garrett Wilson's one, and then it's Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook after that. You get the nine touches, it's ridiculous. I mean, Nathaniel that's, can't that's hack it. Right it. There. Yeah, Nathaniel <laughs> can't hack it. Listen, the Jets, they can't punt on the season yet. That's a demoralizing loss, but you can, you can probably just go in and say, hey, let's burn the film. That defense is elite. We are in there building on short week rest, trying to deal with out our star quarterback. Let's reset. And the Jets' real test for them will be the next week or two. Can they can they find a way to win a game and get some momentum back in their season? Absolutely. All right, let's uh, lightning round these last two games. The Commanders at the Broncos. Washington is now 2-0 and with a wow. 35-33 win. I predict them to have Denver. two wins this season. they've already hit that mark uh no turnovers for washington uh russell wilson fumbled and threw a pick in this game Um, commanders with seven sacks on defense and uh you know the the big highlight that you'll see on social media was the successful hail mary by denver late in this game uh that got them to within two points they went for the two-point conversion that was incomplete so washington hangs on to win two and oh for the commanders what a what a win for them and uh, the Broncos, despite putting up 33 points, uh, looking out of sync still on offense. A little bit better this week, but still uh, not what you expect to see from a Sean Payton offense with Russell Wilson at the helm. Credit to the Commanders. They're scoring. Sam Howell looks confident in the system, and they have um, they, they, they've just been able to, right now, at least at this point in time, move the football really effectively. And that is good news for the Washington Commanders. And I will say, and the other side of it, defensively, I want to see Washington be able to actually use their stud defensive line and like really, really make plays. They still give up way too much points, I think, to uh, to to you know teams that are pedestrian on offense, Cardinals and Broncos to start the season. And you're and so that's a concern long term for Washington. As far as the Broncos go, absolutely, like defensively, you give up that many points at home. Yikes! Like that's that's just brutal defensive playing. And worse, listen, Russell Wilson, if he plays like that, can get you to nine wins. The problem sure. is, if if your defense is that bad and giving up that many points to the Commanders at home, then you need Russell Wilson to play like he's a fifty million dollar man. And I don't know if Russell Wilson is a fifty million dollar man. He got paid late in his in his in his years. He looks a lot more like thirty eight than he does thirty four. And, um, and so that's a, that's obviously gonna be a storyline the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Is they're going to have to, you know, start to, to turn some of these performances into wins uh, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, Dolphins beat the Patriots 24 to 17 in new England Sunday night. Uh, you know, it was actually a pretty, pretty close, uh, good game. Miami offense, maybe a slight step back from obviously their, their big outing in week one, but. Uh, they just have too many home run hitters. Uh, Raheem Mostert coming up with big a big run. 
Waddle with huge catches. I mean, it was Tyreek Hill last week with the – And know, he's in concussion protocol this game. morning, Schefter tweeted out. Waddle. Tyreek Hill is? No, Waddle. Oh, Waddle. Waddle is. Okay, well, that is that is a bummer. But, you know, the fact that they have two of those guys on the outside is unbelievable. But, yeah. uh, you know, the Miami offense uh, maybe taking a slight step back. Mac Jones throwing 42 times and looking pretty good overall. Um, One you know, bad pick. They, they, bad pick late. Yes. Yes, it, it, and that did cost them, but Stevenson only 15 carries, just not enough juice from this Patriots offense, and the Dolphins defense kind of had uh, their number at certain points uh, of this game. And, yeah, it was only a seven-point victory. The Dolphins probably wanted to play a little bit better overall, but, hey, I mean, it's a divisional opponent. We've agreed that the Patriots are probably one of the better last-place teams that yeah. we have predicted. And so uh, you'll take a win over a divisional opponent any day, especially one led by Bill Belichick, who is still one of the yeah. smartest coaches in the NFL. And uh, yeah, Dolphins off and running 2-0 and right now and looking pretty good. Dolphins look great. They look really great. And here's, a, here's the indictment on Brandon Staley and the Chargers. Week one at home, you let Tua look like he's Dan Marino. Week two, the Dolphins are on the road again. Two road games start the year playing against a defensive head coach with way less talent than your defense and you're a defensive head coach. And Bill Belichick makes him look like Tua. He looked efficient. He looked solid. And they let the playmakers make the plays. And that's exactly what Tua needs to stick to doing uh, to be uh, absolutely in the in the play for winning this division. And being a real threat in the AFC, I think the Dolphins right now, much better than I thought they would look like at this point in time in the season. Credit to them. Credit to Mike McDaniel and his staff and uh, what they're building down there in Miami. Problem is, it's still September football. So I'm going to hold mm -hmm. off on Miami and being too excited about them until I get to November and December football. Yeah, Miami atop the AFC East currently at 2-0. and The Patriots uh, fall to 0-2 on the season. All right, Mark, real quick, we got two Monday night matchups coming up tonight. Oh, yeah. Saints at the Panthers. Uh, Saints favored uh, by three. And uh, the Browns at the Steelers. Cleveland favored by two. Who you got in these matchups? I like the Saints. I think the Saints win and cover. I just don't trust Panthers right now. I got there's not a lot of tape out there right now. Some some idiots on Twitter already said, I bet the Bears are pretty to feel dumb like they didn't pick Bryce Young. And it's like, no, no, no. I'm fine. The Bears didn't pick Bryce Young. And we got the Panthers first overall pick. Anthony Richardson looks like a player, but uh, you know, overall, I've been much if we're gonna give up on Justin Fields already. I'm looking towards the Drake Mays and the Caleb Williams, and that's more, way more exciting yeah, exactly. than the the Bryce Youngs, right? The other point in that is um, for the Steelers game, I think the Steelers keep it really close. I think they're going to come out with a ton of fight. They always play the Browns really well. I'm going to take the Browns, though. I think I, okay. I right now yeah. I just think the I going off of what I've seen so far, the Browns. I mean, what they did to the Bengals offensive line last week, I mean, I'm worried about I'm worried about Kenny. Yeah, I mean, I'm worried too. And obviously it's uh, only one game, but they did not look good. The Steelers didn't uh, last week at all. I do agree. The Saints uh, win this one in Carolina. I'll you got them. They'll go to 2-0. 2-0. And then I'm going to take the Steelers in yeah. this game. A get-right game back home at Heinz Field. They do not lose you mean at Heinz Field on Monday night Akersher. like at all. Uh, at Akersher. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. Sorry. True fan. Um, uh, Mike Tomlin doesn't lose on Monday night very often. And uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, they're, they're usually good. I at hope you're bouncing right. back, uh, you know, kind of like what you were talking about with Harbaugh when they were underdogs and Mike Tomlin's a similar motivator like that. No Deontay Johnson, no Cam Hayward. That's going to hurt for sure. 
Uh, but I think they have the Browns number. And uh, as long as they can keep Nick Chubb under 80 yards or something like that, I think we got a good shot at winning this game. So Najee Harris needs to have a big night. Najee needs a big night. They need to, to establish the run and uh, they need to hit some deep shots to George Pickens. Trust the guy, make let him make a couple plays, get him going for sure. So uh, that will do it for us on the football lounge here. We've got uh, some more uh, exciting matchups tonight, of course, Thursday night, and then uh, next week as well. We may come at you with another episode this week too. So stay tuned for that. But for now, that will do it for us here for Mark. I'm Dan. We'll see you next week. <music>